This is our, our last lesson we're going to have in this series on idolatry and its consequences. Uh, you can go ahead and be turning to Colossians chapter 3, because that's where we're going to be spending most of our time tonight. Before we get into this last lesson, I just I, I, those of you who have been in my Sunday school, school class know this about me. I usually start my lessons off with kind of a recap, so we're on the same page going into our lesson. But I just want to remind you of what we've seen so far uh, as, we, as we conclude this series. We've seen what idolatry does to our heart. That it hinders us from fulfilling our design as God's image bearers. That it instead changes us to be like an idol instead of like God. It makes us shameful. It makes us spiritually senseless to, uh, to God and his ways. But we have also seen how God has redeemed us in Christ. And in the last couple of lessons, we've seen the hope that we have in Christ, even though we are sinners. Jesus was a sinless sacrifice for our sins, living as the perfect image of God. And when we repent and believe in him, God does something amazing in us. Uh, Not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only can we stand before God justified because we're in Christ who is justified, but we who were once like a shameful, senseless creation, one that fell short of God's standard, We are predestined in Christ to be glorious like him. And I hope you guys look forward to that day. If you've believed in Christ as your Savior, that's a day that's coming. Uh, That's the hope that you have. The motivation you should have to serve him even now is that, man, one day I'm going to be transformed to be like the glorious body of Christ. I'm going to be made to be like him uh, in, in in the fullest sense. Through Christ, we are destined to be exactly who we were made to be creatures who bear the image of our creator. That's something that we ourselves fail to do, but by God's grace will do fully in the end. Our purpose as creatures made in the image of God is realized in Christ. It's realized through faith in him. Paul told the Philippians, he said, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he said, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And John wrote in his first letter, he said, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's a day coming when those who have believed in Jesus will receive a glorious transformation, right? We, we like to talk about our glorified body that, that's waiting for us uh, after the return of Christ. It's difficult to even really grasp what that's going to be like for us, right? It's so, it feels so different from what we are now. When I think about my own body, my mind, and my heart, it feels, man, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to have a heart and a mind and a body that is totally conformed to who Christ is, that is totally, completely renewed to be like him. What an incredible hope that we have. What, a, what an incredible blessing that we have to look forward to. To no longer live with bodies and hearts that are hindered by idolatry and sin. No longer having to wage that battle every day with sin. But did you know that even now, before that day comes, 
before you are transformed and you have a new glorious body like Christ, did you know that even now you can taste that transformation? You, you can already take part in what is coming. You can already receive blessings that are kind of like the first fruits of what we will receive at the return of Christ. Even now you can experience those kinds of blessings of becoming more like Jesus, being more like his image, the image of our creator. In fact, that's something that God wants from us. And if you have believed in Christ as your savior, if you are God's child, you're part of the kingdom of Christ, God wants you to be more and more every day like his son. He wants to renew you into that image. He wants to make you to be just like Jesus, even here on earth, even in these bodies. He wants to renew you. And that's what we're going to look at tonight in Colossians. As we've, we've really kind of taken a broad approach to looking at idolatry and, and what it has done to us and what God has done to save us, now we're going to maybe have a lesson that's, that's more geared toward, you know, now that we've trusted in Christ, now that we are justified before God and Him, we're saved, we have eternal life. But what about right now? Can we be renewed now? We're going to look at this, the life of a believer and being renewed into the image of Christ. The Colossians were no strangers to idolatry. Um, neither are we, right? They lived in a culture that made idols out of the basic elements of the world, the basic elements of this creation. They had gods for all sorts of things that, they, that the people worshipped, the culture worshipped. Some worshipped people. Some worshipped human traditions, human wisdom. There even seems to be some indication that they, they, they worshipped angels, even. Just spiritual beings that they, that they trusted in and thought could bring them salvation. Apparently, in their culture, there were even some they lived around who made an idol out of the law of Moses, right? Those, those Judaizers, even, who would try to mix the teachings of, 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 of Christ with adherence to the law. So they were living among idolaters. And the Colossian believers themselves, probably most of them, if not all of them, were themselves idol worshipers. Maybe even the sen in the sense that we've been seeing in the Old Testament, of they, they had specific gods that they worshipped before coming to Christ. But the Colossians that Paul wrote to, they had believed in Jesus, and now they were different. They had eternal life in them. They were justified before God. God had spoken light into their hearts like we saw last week with Paul. He said, by faith, when we believe in the Lord, God speaks light into our hearts just like he spoke light out of nothing in the beginning. So the Colossians, they, they had that light in their hearts. Through faith, they didn't have that veil anymore. They could look on the face of the Lord and begin to reflect his glory in their life to be more and more like him. And they were already bearing fruit and showing growth. You can read about that in, in chapter 1 of Colossians when Paul writes about them and, and how thankful he is for the lives that they're living, the fruit they're bearing, and their service for, service for the Lord. But Paul desired their completeness of faith, their completeness of wisdom in Christ. He wanted them to be more mature, to grow, to continue growing and producing fruit. Yes, Paul knew that one day the Colossians were going to have bodies that were transformed, he knew that one day they had that to look forward to, to be transformed and made to be like Christ. Yet even before Christ had returned, he wanted them to walk in a manner that was worthy of the Lord. 
He wanted them to be more like Jesus. Don't, don't just wait and sit on your feet and sit on your hands and wait for the return of the Lord to be like Christ. Even now, you can be renewed into his image and walk in a manner worthy of your Lord. You can serve him even here on earth. He struggled greatly for the Colossians so that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, in Christ, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's in chapter 2. Going back to what we, we read last week, what he wanted for the Colossian believers was that they would be beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What he wanted was them gazing on the glory of Christ like it was looking in a mirror, and he wanted them to be changed from one glory into a glory more like Jesus. He wanted them to grow, to be more like Christ, to set their eyes on Christ and be transformed into his perfect image on earth. But it was going to require them to turn from their old worldly practices. It was going to require them to seek the Lord daily. Read with me in chapter 3 what he, wrote, what he uh, wrote to them in the first verse. He said, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Instead of turning to other worldly masters, other worldly devotions, can we say idols? Paul told the Colossians to look to the throne of Christ. He told them to have this, this mind that was set on him. If you've been raised with him, which he, he wasn't expressing doubt in the Colossians' faith, but he was getting them to think about this. Think for yourself. If you've been raised to new life with Christ, how should you be living? He says, if you have been raised with him, seek the things that are above. Why would you not set your eyes on Christ if you've been raised with him? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, he says, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He wanted them to have a focus that was on Christ while everyone around them was worshiping the things of this world. They were devoted to the teachings of this world, to the traditions, the philosophies, the gods that had been made by the, this world around them. Everyone else was looking at this world. That was their whole, whole scope. Paul told the Colossians, you set your minds on Christ. You look to him. Look to where he is. Get your mind off of the things of this earth. And again, just to, to remind you, that Paul wasn't saying that uh, we need to live totally detached from the people and the things in this world, that, that we don't care about the people or anything in this earth. No, 
Paul was, Paul was contrasting these, these two devotions, right? Of being devoted to heavenly pursuits or being devoted to this world. He was telling them instead to, to have minds that are, are set on Christ, not set on things that were contrary to Christ. Putting to death those practices that were all about earthly and, and worldly gain, which is what you see in that first list he gives in, in verse 5 and uh, in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which he says is idolatry. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit, and we'll talk about that. But you notice all those things, are there, they are their attitudes of the heart and, and practice that, practices that center around, man, I, I've got to get earthly things. I've got to lay up earthly game. I've got to get the things that I want out of this world. I've got to covet. I've got to be sexually immoral. I've got to fulfill all the, the fleshly desires I have. And, and Paul says, no, set your mind on Christ. Stop looking down at those earthly desires you have, those worldly pursuits, and look to Christ. Those were the things, he says, that the Colossians lived in when they had darkened, senseless hearts. Before they had believed in Christ and they were simply worshiping the things and the people of this world, they had senseless hearts. They were darkened hearts, just like the idol we read about in the Psalms. They were people who, who were not meeting God's standard, who were not living up to their design as creatures made in the image of God. They weren't, they weren't reflecting God's glory, but they were reflecting shameful idols that they worshipped. But now, it was different. In verse 8, but now, you must put them all away. Now they had to put those kinds of attitudes and those kinds of practices away and be renewed. He says, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from mouth. All those, those hateful attitudes, those hateful practices that are not consistent with your new king. That are not consistent with your God who's seated up in heaven. You need to put those away. Those are earthly, worldly practices, worldly attitudes. Look to Christ. And he says to be renewed, and that's, that's what we're going to focus on a little more right now before we go back to the idolatry in a moment. He tells them in verses 9, 10, uh, and 11, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek, and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Renewal. Even now, the Colossians were living in their sinful bodies. They still struggled with sin. Paul had to write to them about it here in this letter, right? They were struggling with sin like we were, and yet what did Paul tell them? Be renewed. You need to put away these old practices and be renewed. Don't be the kind of people that are lying to one another, right? That's not consistent with your Savior. That's not consistent with the new life you have. He says instead, you know, when they had trusted in Christ, when they believed in him, it was like they had put off an old self and now they've got a new self, right? Uh, not a self like Todd's self. A new, new self, new person. We've put off this old way of life. We have put on a, a new way of life. It's like changing out of, out of old, dirty clothes and putting on new clothes. And what Paul says is that that new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
So that new life that we've, been, we've put on, that new life that we have after we've believed in Christ, we've been raised with him from the dead, we have new life in us, he, he's saying that life you have is being renewed. Right, that, that's a present thing. That's a, that's a continuous thing here. You are being renewed. The new self you have is being renewed into the image of its creator. That's what Paul wanted out of the Colossians. And for us, as we've studied through uh, the, the consequences of idolatry, and we, we've looked at what God has done for us to redeem us from that, if you're a believer and you, you, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, that's, here's the application for you. That even now, we need to be looking out for those idols that would take our attention. Those idols that would conform us to their image rather than the image of Christ. Being renewed. That is what we're supposed to be seeking says that new self, it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, in knowledge. Saying as you, as you are face to face with your Savior, you're seeking him. You're coming face to face with his word. You're learning more about him. You're experiencing who Christ really is. You're changed to be more like him. I think it's a lot like we read last week with Moses. Remember when Moses went... Uh, to meet with God, and he, would, he wouldn't have the veil on his face, and when he met with God, he would be done. The, the glory of God would be shining on his own face. And when we come to Scripture, and we, we come face to face with our Savior, and his glory, and who he is, and what he's told us to do, and we don't have faces that are veiled anymore, because we have faith. We read his word clearly. We see clearly who God is, and it reflects on us, and it changes us. It makes us to be more like him as we receive his word with faith. Paul is saying that's, you're being renewed. Put off those old practices. Put off those old ways. Put off all the practices of your old self, the things that you used to live in, and now live like a member of the new kingdom, right? The kingdom of Christ. Earlier in Colossians, that's what he told them. He said that anyone who's believed in Christ has been moved out of the domain of darkness and has been moved into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. You're not part of the kingdom of darkness anymore. That's not who you're serving. That's not the one you're worshiping, is, is darkness and sin and this world. Your new king is Jesus. Now live like him, even here. As you await for the day of the Lord, now live for Jesus. Be renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. And I like how he words this here, because he doesn't, he says, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Who created your new self? Well, God did, right? God's the creator of your new self. He's your creator. You're being renewed into his image. You're being taken from the image of an idol, which you have been reflecting. You've been, you're being taken from that, that shameful, senseless, dark-hearted image of an idol, disappointing, failing the standard of your maker. And you are being renewed into the image of the creator. You're being made to be like him, which is what he made you to be in the first place. Through a greater understanding of Christ, as we walk in his word by faith, we're renewed into the image of our creator who is 100% Christ. He says that in verse 11, here. What's he, where is he talking about when he says here? He's talking about the image, right? He says we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in that image... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ 
is all and in all. When it comes to the image of God, which we are all supposed to reflect, we're all made to reflect in our own lives, we're made to represent, that image is not divided between ethnic ties, that image is not divided between the, the social standards. It's not divided between Greek and Jew, which was a big one for them. The image of God isn't divided between circumcised and uncircumcised or barbarian and Scythian or slave and free. No, the image of God is, is, is whole. It's, it's not divided. But instead, Paul says it, it is Christ. Christ is the image of God, our creator, and he is in everything in that image. Everything about the image of God, everything about who we're supposed to reflect and imitate is Jesus Christ. That's the image we're being renewed into. As we pursue Christ in this life and as we, we set our eyes on the things that are above and we, we don't turn aside to worship idols, we get to be renewed into Jesus' image. It's an incredible change that we can't accomplish by ourselves, that, that God brings in us through his word, through his spirit. But we have to pursue that. We have to daily choose to turn from sinful devotions and turn to our king. You know, today, am I going to set the idols in my life first? (laughs) Am I going to set worldly pursuits first and worldly devotions first, or am I going to set God first? Am I first and foremost going to worship him, trust in him to shepherd my soul? Or am I going to trust in the things of this world and be conformed to their image? Even after you are saved, idolatry can still hinder your service for the Lord. Turning to idols can still stop you from being who God wants you to be even now, to to fulfilling your design even now. Now, back in verse 5, Paul mentioned idolatry as one of the practices the Colossians had to put to death. He didn't first call it that, did he? He said this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It says covetousness is idolatry. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about the word idol, or you think about idolatry, do you think about covetousness? <laughs> what do you, I, again, I think I've said this before, but when I think about idolatry, I pretty much picture the kind of thing that the psalmist was talking about. I'm picturing a, a very physical, you know, wooden carving or a, a golden image of something, like a cow or a person or, or whatever it might be. I'm picturing that as an idol. But Paul told the Colossians, look, the covetousness that's in your hearts, that is idolatry. So we're moving past, you know, the, the very obvious, superficial, you know, bowing down to a physical idol in front of you. We're moving past that, that very, uh, very physical, you know, idolatry there. Instead, Paul's saying that attitude in your heart, the way that, that you are coveting the things that your neighbors have, that is an idolatrous practice. That is idolatry. Idolatry won't always look like a wooden person. And especially today, you know, living in the United States, chances are most people you know aren't going to have a wooden person set up in their household that they bow down to. They're not going to have a golden image that they bow down to in their house. It's not going to look like that. But do people in the U.S. covet? You bet. Do we have attitudes in our own hearts 
that are idolatrous, when we cover the things that our neighbors have, you bet, that's idolatry. I want to read from you, for you a, a quote. So to the reader living in the 21st century, the Bible's teachings on idolatry may often seem distant or even irrelevant to modern life. The word idol conjures images of gold-clad cattle or carved wooden totems. With idolatry, the modern person is reminded of secluded cults and ritual sacrifices, practices which he or she believes are far removed from civilization. But herein lies one of the great dangers of idolatry. Not all idols are golden calves. The idols that, that we daily are presented with in this life, they don't look like necessarily a wooden person or a golden calf. Instead, they look like attitudes of the heart. They, they look like covetousness. Or they look like a variety, of thing, a variety of things that we encounter today in the year 2020. I believe that idols abound today like they did in Jesus' day, or like they did in the days of the divided kingdom. I believe that people have always been turning to things that are not the Lord, people that are not the Lord, bowing down to them, devoting their lives to those things and those people rather than God, and I think that's idolatry. <laughs> If I go back to one of the definitions I gave you in our first lesson from an author, uh, Beale, he said, idol worship was anything that is a substitute for worship of God. And an idol, he said, was anything that the heart clings to for ultimate security. Those things in our lives that we, we, we try to substitute in for who God is, that we're bowing down to, the things that we're trusting in. That's what the psalmist said, right? Those who trust in idols. The, the, the people are the things that we're setting in the place where God should be. He's the one who should uh, be the one we're trusting. He should be our refuge that we run to. But we turn to idols. Those, comes in, those come in, in different forms today. The people and things that take God's place uh, in our, our supreme devotion, if we can say it that way. There are, in fact, many people in our world who still worship idols, like we talked about in the Psalms who still worship idols shaped like people and animals and things. You can find that. Uh, but you won't find that as common here, right? According to Paul, it's an idolatrous heart that covets a neighbor's possessions for his or herself. The heart is devoted to the possession above all, right? And not to the Lord. So the heart is idolatrous. That's, that's the thing they're devoted to. That's the thing they want more than anything. They covet it. They wish they had it and their neighbor didn't have it. Because more than anything else, even more than obeying God, more than having a heart like him, they, they want that thing. They want that possession. They covet it. That, now, that possession that they're coveting, that the Colossians you know, may have coveted and, and Paul was telling you about, that possession, it's not worthy of your trust or your worship. It can't save you. It can't provide abundant life. It'll be disappointing, and so will you if you worship it. It's an idol. If it's money and the lives of the people around you. You turn to your neighbor and say, I, I covet the money that my neighbor has. That money can't provide you life. That money can't be a refuge. That money won't save you. It's not worthy of your trust, and you're going to be just as disappointing as that money if you trust in it. <laughs> you're going to become as senseless to God. You're going to become as, as shameful as the thing that you've trusted in. It's an idol. Idolatry goes far beyond worship of a physical idol and, and again, includes the devotion of our heart. So for us tonight, the thing for us to consider, I believe, is what is it or who is it that we put before God and his word? What do we trust more than him?
what are we going to give priority over, you know, God's word? You know, when it comes down to it, I'm either going to trust in this thing or I'm going to trust what God has told me. <laughs> I'm going to believe in him. What are those things in our lives? I was talking to my roommate about this today, uh, and he was asking me what I thought the, 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 the most prevalent idol was for us today. And again, it's such a, such a tough question. But again, my mind always goes back to money because it rings true for us today still. And it, it's, at, it's at the heart of so many, you know, so much idolatry even today. We all struggle with that, right? Of, of wanting to pursue money and bow down before this chase of money rather than bowing down to God and what he wants for us. So many people, they do devote themselves to money. They trust in it before God, so it's an idol. For some, it's sports. For some, it's a job. Some people put their faith in the power of music to guide their soul, to give them healing, or the power of technology to deliver them and to provide them security in life. When they're in distress, it's not the Lord they run to, but it's, it's one of these things that they run to in their times of need. When they're, you know, having in spiritual distress, what can I turn to? Well, I'm not going to turn to the Lord, but maybe I'll, I'll go. I'll go to some kind of technology, and it, it'll ease me. It, I'll go to. I'll go to, to music. I'll go to my job. I'll, I'll go to, to sports, and it'll it'll heal me, <laughs> with what I'm dealing with. Music and work and money—they're not evil in themselves, right? We use music to glorify God. We work. God provides work for us, provides our needs through that. That's not bad. Money is something that God, God blesses us with and, and we, we use to uh, take care of our families and to provide those needs. Those are not evil things in themselves. But every day people take those things that are not wrong in themselves and they serve them before God. They set them up as an idol. I, my life is about pursuing this instead of the Lord's will for my life. Sometimes it's a real person, right? Sometimes the idols that we worship, are they real people? I think we're seeing that a lot right now, as people have all throughout history. People devote themselves to a man, or they devote themselves to a woman, and trust in them rather than God. They care more about their allegiance and trust in a person rather than their worship of their creator. They care more about pleasing a person or, or, or heeding their advice rather than pleasing God and heeding his word. Now that person, that person's an idol that you set up. Stepping on my toes already. I, I can think about people in my life. I can think about things in my life that I have, I have on, on you know, some days, certain days, I, I've set before God and what I know I should be doing to serve him. And I've set them up as idols in my life. I'll step on them some more, just personally. Can our religious traditions sometimes become idols? That's what the Pharisees did, wasn't it? Jesus said such people like the Pharisees, they, they leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. The Pharisees worshipped tradi the traditions of their fathers, the teachings of their fathers, above what God was saying, above who God was. They worshiped them before Jesus. Those religious traditions, those were an idol to the Pharisees. And we, you can see very clearly in the Gospels that the Pharisees became senseless and shameful, just like the idol they trusted in. When we hold the traditions of men over the commandments of God, we're serving an idol. When we trust in tradition rather than God's word, that's an idol for us, I believe. 
And you could go on, on and on and on tonight, and you can think about uh, things in this world that people set up as idols. I think maybe you get the picture with these examples. And ultimately, we all have to meditate on our own heart. What are the things in, what's the things in, in my life that I'm setting before God? What are the things in my life that I run to in my time of need rather than God? You know, what are those things that, that I'm, I'm finding rest in and I'm trusting in to, to, to deliver me or, or you know, give me a more comfortable life rather than going to my God and serving him? It's going to be different for me than it is for you. Consider your own heart. Who do you rest in, God? Or are there idols that you will rest your heart in at times? I think that's a daily thing for us. I think that's a daily decision we make when we're confronted with this choice. Am I going to turn and serve an idol, or am I going to turn and serve the master? You know, if Jesus made that very clear distinction in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said you can't do, the same, you can't do both things at the same time. You can't serve an idol and serve God. You can't serve mammon, money, material wealth, gain, and serve God at the same time. You're going to have to make that choice, and when you make your choice, your back is going to be the other thing. I think for us, that's, that's a daily decision that we make and the choices that we make. You know, who's going to have my devotion? Is it God or is it me? Is it God or is it going to be money or my job or, or you know, what, whatever it is? Guys, there is no God like our Creator. I hope that over these lessons you've seen that. I hope we can take this as a warning as we've, we've seen what idolatry does to us, that trusting in anyone else aside from the Lord, following anyone else or anything else as your, your spiritual shepherd, the one who's going to take care of you and provide, other than ultimately God, is going to yield disappointing results. And it's going to warp you. It's going to cloud your heart. It's going to darken your heart. And it's going to make it harder for you to be who you are supposed to be for God, serving him, reflecting his glory and his image. But I'll tell you this, if you will choose to set God first in your life, you're never going to be let down by putting your faith in God. <laughs> you are never going to be disappointed by being more devoted to your creator. There's never one time where I have ever put my faith in God and been disappointed for it. There's never been one time in my life where I said, you know what, I really need to serve God rather than my own desires. I really need to serve God rather than do this and then I was disappointed. No, God, God doesn't disappoint. God is a faithful deliverer. He is a sure refuge. And he brings blessings for us that we can't find when we trust in idols, when we put our faith in the things of this world rather than God. You'll never be disappointed by being more devoted to him. And God deserves it. And he demands it. As our creator, God has every right to demand our devotion and yet he loves us, and it is a blessing for us when we do so. I'm so thankful that as we've gone through these lessons, I, I've had this opportunity to share this with you, uh, because studying through this myself was, was very convicting. And I know I've already talked to, to a few of y'all already who, who have voiced this to me as well, that it's, it's a convicting thing uh, to be face-to-face -face with who you are. <laughs> but what hope and joy there is in being face-to-face -face with who Christ is. Christ is. To, to, to be brought, <laughs> brought into a, a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I hope that gives you even more hope. Uh, these lessons weren't meant to, to put you down and make you miserable. 
These lessons were meant to show you the glory of God, that you would trust in him more, and, and I hope you do that. I hope that, you know, daily you can see a greater benefit in serving him before yourself and before idols in this world. I hope that you've learned more about yourself and more about God. We are the recipients of much grace because we're just like a wooden idol, really. God formed us to be this glorious reflection of him, and we have fallen short of that standard. But God, who has loved us so much, has redeemed us. He sent his son who, who lived a life that was perfectly in, in, you know, in, in perfect conformity to who God is, a perfect reflection of our creator. And he's taken our place. And when we believe in Christ, he takes our place. He intercedes for us. And we can have that confidence in him. And learning more about who he is gives us more confidence in him. Let's let this grace that we've received as as a disappointing creation, but made glorious by the grace of God. Let's let that motivate us. Let that motivate you this week to serve him when you realize how far God has lifted you, how far down you were, but how far up God has exalted you in Christ. That's, that, that should want, make you want to rejoice. That should make you want to praise God and serve him all the more. As we look forward to the day that we're completely conformed to the image of Jesus, when our bodies are transformed to be like his, Let's strive every day to let his spirit renew us and renew our darkened hearts and our minds. Don't be callous to the word of God, but set your mind on Christ and, and be renewed like Paul told the Colossians. Be renewed into that image that is just 100% Jesus. Look in, look in his face and reflect his glory. Let's seek to fulfill our design by submitting ourselves to our creator. That's what it comes down to, Right? Who are you going to bow to? Who are you going to submit yourself to? Who, who are you going to trust in? Is it going to be God or is it going to be an idol? There are millions of people in our world who are looking for purpose and meaning. And we see that every day. There, there are people um, I've known personally, and you see people on the news and wherever, that people who they, they want to find some kind of purpose in their life and they, they want to find some kind of meaning in their life. They, they want to know that they're living a life uh, being who they're, you know, either supposed to be or who, you know, who, who they are. You know, I want to know that I'm, I'm living a fulfilling life. And I'm telling you, no one's going to live a fulfilling life if they're not being who God created them to be. No one, no one lives a life that abounds with joy and peace and assurance if it's lived apart from the Lord. Those people who are, are they're looking for purpose and meaning, and they want to know who they really are, let's be a light to them. If you've trusted in Christ, you know who you're supposed to be, right? You know you're supposed to be this reflection of him. You know you're supposed to live as the image of God on earth. Let's be a light to them, like, like Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Be, be the salt. Be the light in this world. People who have darkened hearts and, and who, are, who are spiritually senseless, take the word of God to them. Share with them the message of the gospel so that God can speak in their hearts light, so that God can renew their hearts, and they can live a life being who they are supposed to be, reflections of God's glory. Don't cover your light. Don't turn to idols and let your light be covered up by senselessness, by foolishness, worldliness. But let the glory of your Father shine through your good words and your good deeds. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace. And God, I thank you for reminding us over these lessons of our own sinful state, Lord, how we've fallen short of your standard. But Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for your grace toward us. 
that God, you didn't discard us because we were sinners. You didn't do away with us like a wooden idol, but Lord, you love us and you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, I pray that uh, if there are any here tonight who have not trusted in Jesus as their savior to redeem them from their sin, Lord, I pray that they would do that tonight. And Lord, for those of us who have believed in him, Lord, remind us this week of who Christ is. Lord, uh, help us this week to be more devoted to him, Lord, to pursue him, Lord, that we would reflect his glory even now. And Lord, I'm so thankful that we can all look forward to this day when Christ returns. Lord, and we're delivered from these bodies, Lord, and we're given a new body to be like Christ. Lord, it's in that hope that we, we live every day. Lord, thank you so much for forgiving us of our sins. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.